John chapter 14. Let's start reading in verse number 15. It says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world seeth me no more. Ye see me because I live. Ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. And he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him. And I will manifest myself to him. And Judah saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself unto us and not the world? And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him, and he will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being ye yet, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard now, I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Uh, this morning is really part two of the message I, I preached last week. Last week we looked at the same passage and saw the, the many times that Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we, we dealt with those passages in the context of this whole upper room discourse that what Jesus was saying by, if you love me, keep my commandments, that was directed towards his disciples, towards those that he loved, towards those that he has saved and, and that he is going to die for. Um, today we're going to look at this passage and, and the, the thrust of it this morning, the message will be on the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, that you and I are greatly blessed this morning. If you're redeemed, you are greatly blessed beyond perhaps even our understanding of how blessed we are because we have the blessings of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant. What grace God gives us in the blessed Holy Spirit. That God has blessed us beyond measure this morning. There are some Christians who pray that the Holy Spirit would come and bless them with a, a, a second blessing or, or something such as this. But, but as redeemed children of God, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Comforter this morning. And Jesus 
is encouraging his disciples with this reality, with this truth, that it is even good for him to depart that the Comforter would come. Of all people in history, we are most blessed. And Jesus tells his disciples that they're blessed because when Jesus leaves, they won't be abandoned. But they will be blessed by the grace and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think that if we could just think about that for a moment, that Jesus was saying, it's, it's, he says in the next chapter, it's good for me, it's expedient that I go, that the Comforter come, that, th- that we are blessed this morning because the Holy Spirit indwells us and blesses us with, these, uh, with his gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. In a way, just like Jesus blessed his disciples whenever he was there with them in the flesh, And that will be our message this morning as we consider the Comforter. And there's three things that Jesus says that he gives them. Um, He gives them help or the Comforter. The Father will give them the Comforter. So we receive help. And then he says that he would, when the Comforter comes, they would have peace in verse 27. So he gives peace. Peace I give unto you. And then he tells them that they should rejoice. And so he gives us joy. And so, comfort, help, peace, and joy. And you find those three things continually throughout the New Testament whenever we speak of the Holy Spirit and we think of the fruit of the Spirit, love and and peace and, and joy. These things are the fruit and the blessing of the Holy Spirit that he gives to his people. Not an elite class of Christians, not a group of second level Christians, but to God's people, he, we receive these blessings. So the first one we notice is in verses 15 through 21. It is the comforter. That Jesus pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So the comforter, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And it says another. Not a different, but another one that's the same. So Jesus is saying, I will leave, but there is another that will come just like me. Another one that's the same. So the Holy Spirit will come in the ministry that, uh, to, to do the, the work that Jesus was doing there with them. Now the Comforter, it's also translated in 1 John 2, 1 as Advocate. So if any man sin, we have an Advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. And that same Greek word is translated comforter here. It is a helper, an advocate, a friend, a guide, uh, one to, to bring comfort. I read J.R. Packer said it, comforter comes from two Latin words, um, which mean with strength. Um, cum forte, the wits with strength. So the comforter comes with, with power, with to help, to, ad, to advocate as our friend and as our guide. And that's what Jesus was to the disciples as he was there. He guided them. He helped them. He, he comforted them. He directed them. He taught them. He disciplined them. All these things Jesus did. And he says that when Jesus leaves, another comforter will come. Another one will come to, to help and to comfort and to guide and to be the friend and advocate um, of the disciples there upon the earth. What Jesus was with them in the flesh, the Holy Spirit would be in them. 
And so what Jesus was for the disciples in the flesh, as he sat there with them and, and communed with them and talked with them, the Holy Spirit is with us, dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit gives us instruction and consolation, just as would be given by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we meditate on the Word of God and, and or, or hear the Word of God preached or, or, or are overwhelmed by problems and trials in, the li- in our lives and, and Scriptures come to mind or, or we think of the grace and the mercy of our God, that is the Holy Spirit doing the work in us that Christ would do if He was here with us bodily. So what a blessed, blessed um, reality that is to have the Comforter, the personal um, indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, James Buchanan said, the Holy Spirit ple- <clears throat> is to plead the cause and secure the welfare of his people in various ways, by helping our infirmities, guiding us in all truth, strengthening us against the assaults of temptation, sustaining us under the pressures of trial, aiding us in the exercise of prayer. This comfort flowing from God himself as its source and through Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, as the channel by which it's conveyed to us is applied to our hearts by the gracious agency and the inward operation of the Holy Spirit. So all the the grace, all the strength, all the comfort, all the guidance, all the instruction, all the light of the scripture comes to us through, from God, through Christ, in the operation and grace, gracious work of the Holy Spirit in us. What a blessing it is to be indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. Paul says in Romans fifteen thirteen that the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So that's just as Jesus said in this uh, lengthy text that I wrote, read that we would have comfort, joy, and peace. When the Comforter would come, he told the disciples this, and Paul says that the God of hope fills us with these things. How? Through the power of the Holy Ghost. And so joy comes from God. Peace comes from God. Comfort comes from God. And this is the blessed grace of God. And we have to remember that these things are a fruit of the Spirit that they are graciously given to us. And we look to God for these these, uh, blessed gifts. Paul also said in Romans 14, 17 that righteousness and peace and joy is in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness. These things come from the the grace of the Holy Spirit of God. One more in 2 Thessalonians 2, 16, it says, Now the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, hath given us everlasting consolation. There's comfort. And good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts, establish you in every good work. So God gives us this consolation, this hope, this comfort, and establishes us in the work by the 
the grace of, of and power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if we look over in chapter 16, I think I said chapter 15, it's chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. Now, how many of us would say that it would be expedient or advantageous or good for us for Jesus to go away? That was the whole thing that the disciples were struggling against. Peter said, you're not going to go. I'll fight. I'll die before that happens. I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. Thomas says, you can't go. We don't know where, to, where you'll be or how to follow you. They didn't want Jesus to go. But Jesus says, no, it's, a, it's for your advantage. It's expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And so that's why I said we might not even realize the blessedness, fully grasp the blessedness that we have in the Holy Spirit of God, but what the Comforter does for us and in us. Because his purpose is not to point us to himself, but to point us to the Lord Jesus. That the the Spirit of God will not uh, point us always to him, but he will point us to truth. He will point us to Jesus. He will point us to comfort. And what is our comfort? Our comfort is the hope that we have in the gospel of Christ. People who have an a unhealthy direction towards the Holy Spirit, and I mean that their whole church service is directed towards the, the, spirit, of tr- the spirit of God, and all their sermons are nothing but the Spirit, and they, they, you know, they talk about as Brother Harold was talking about in Sunday school, a, a misunderstanding of the gifts, the apostolic gifts, such as uh, speaking in tongues and so forth. There's very little Christ. It's all about gifts. It's all about um, power. It's all about um, you know the what what is God does in us, but it, it's never to pointing to Christ. And that's one way we can tell that this is not the Spirit of Christ, because the Spirit of Christ will not point us to himself, but rather he points us to the Lord Jesus. And so it's advantageous because the Comforter will come and bless us with these blessed gifts. Now the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is not power, but he's a person. God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's one God... And in the one God, the one being of God, there's three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Comforter is not a power, it's not a force, but he's a person. And so the Comforter comes, the person of the Holy Spirit, the friend of the Holy Spirit, the guide, the Comforter, the advocate of the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. So it is not that Jesus leaves and gives us a power, but Jesus departed unto the right hand of the Father, and another person of the Trinity comes and is our friend and guide and comfort and our helper and our teacher and our friend. And that is the blessed Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, Jesus says. He is the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit would teach the disciples and guide them in all truth. Now, particularly here, the the promise I believe that Jesus was given that the Spirit would come and guide them in all truth, was to 
these disciples for whenever Jesus left, um, it was the, the author, the penman of the, the New Testament that God, the Holy Spirit, would, would um, bring to remembrance everything that Jesus said. So if you ever wonder how John remembered all this stuff, it wasn't because John had a good memory. It's because the Holy Spirit brought to his mind uh, all the things that Jesus said. And not only all the things that Jesus said, but the Holy Spirit told John. You know, all the times where we say, well, Jesus was really thinking this, and Jesus knew this, and Jesus knew this was about to happen. Well, how did John know that? Because the Holy Spirit brought these things and taught these things uh, to John. And as John penned the inspired Word of God, it was, it was as he was moved by the Holy Spirit. And, and so we have the very words of Jesus, not just John's fuzzy memory of something that happened many years before, but, but exactly um, as God himself gave it to John. Every, every, every word, every phrase is uh, God-inspired. So the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He spoke to them. Just as Jesus sat there and spoke to his disciples, the Holy Spirit came and spoke to the disciples and gave them his word. And so, as we read John, we read the very words of Jesus. As we read the words in Romans, where Paul wrote, we're, writing the very, we're reading the very words of God as given to them by the Comforter, by the Holy Spirit. So, it is God-inspired, God-breathed words that we have here. So, the Holy Spirit uses the means of His Word to comfort and strengthen and bless us. As the disciples here were overcome and overwhelmed with sorrow and anxiety and they were perplexed, they didn't know what to do, Jesus says unto them, let not your heart be troubled. And later on, uh, and he says in verse 1 and later on at the end of uh, chapter 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. He comforts them with his words. And now the Holy Spirit comforts us today as uh, as Christians, he comforts us with what? His words. He speaks to us in his word, the words that uh, he, he uh, has inspired here in, in our Bibles. So the Holy Spirit uses the means of his word to comfort his people, to strengthen his people, and to bless his people. The Holy Spirit uses the preaching of God's word to comfort his people, and to strengthen, and, and to bless, and to bring peace, and to bring joy. So the Holy Spirit does not use alternative means than that which the Lord Jesus used, which was dwelling with them, pointing them to the truth, reminding them of God's promises, and in communion with them, blessing them by, just by dwelling with them. And that's how the Holy Spirit comforts us and strengthens us. So it's, it's not, so if you come looking for some extraordinary apostolic gift, or if you, you're trying to wait for some great movement of signs and wonders, then you're going to live your life in disappointment. Because the times of those apostolic sign gifts have ended, they were there for a purpose, they were there for a season. The Bible tells us what that purpose was, and that's not the point of the message this morning, but 
there's a purpose for those sign gifts. There was a time for those sign gifts. But now that we have the word, the Holy Spirit comforts us and strengthens us through these just regular ways that he does so through through the word of God read and preached and taught and and meditated on through the prayers of of the saints, the communion of the saints together in the body of Christ by dwelling with us and with us together in fellowship. That's how the Spirit of God blesses us and strengthens us. When the Lord saves us, we're enlightened to the knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Savior. We see the grace of God that sinners may come to Him and have life. And then we're convinced that Jesus is that Savior for us. So the Holy Spirit shows us that we're sinners. He shows us that Jesus is a great Savior. And we are convinced and know by faith that Jesus died for us, that Jesus is our Savior. And He's the Savior for our sins. And we believe and, and, and trust in Him for the salvation of our soul. And we rejoice. And what do we have? We have comfort, we have peace, and we have joy whenever we see Jesus Christ as our Savior. And as we see more truth about Jesus, and as the Holy Spirit illuminates more of His blessed truth to us about Jesus, through His Word, God graciously reveals more of His character to us in Christ. And what happens when we do that? We grow in comfort and strength and assurance and joy. See, we gain assurance not in ourselves, but in what Christ has done for us. That doesn't mean we're more saved. It's just we, we are more sure of that salvation that He has given us. Why? Because we know more about what Christ has done. We know more about His character. We know more about His work. And that increases our joy and our peace. And our comfort. And so the more that you know about Jesus, and the more that you know about the gospel, and the more that you, you meditate and, and rest in that gospel, the more assurance that you gain, which increases our hope and our joy and our comfort and our peace. And so that's what the Spirit of God does for us. Continually, as God's people. Now in verse 17, <clears throat> of our text, he says, but ye know him, or let's see, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So here, and then, then again in verse 19, it says, the world seeth me no more. We, Jesus draws a distinction between himself and the world, those who follow Christ and, and the world. The world does not see. The world does not understand. But the Holy Spirit comes and abides with His people. The Spirit of God will come and dwell within you. He dwells with you and shall be in you in verse 17. Now the world, that, that doesn't mean anything to the world. The world doesn't see Christ, doesn't understand Christ, doesn't care if Christ is there or not. But the Holy Spirit abides with his people. Sinclair Ferguson said the Holy Spirit is 
sort of the, the homemaker, we might think, as he dwells with his people. And he used the illustration that women who are homemakers are not thought much of in society. And that, that's a fact. Um, I don't know how many times Crystal has been insulted in our marriage because um, she uh, either because she homeschooled the, the children. Because that's not looked on as work in society. Raising kids isn't work in, in society, apparently. But it wasn't appreciated. But guess who appreciated it? I appreciated it. The boys appreciated it. Why? Because she, the, the, the family loves her. And those who were the benefits of her work and her uh, dedication, those who were the recipients of that work truly appreciated it. The world doesn't know. The world doesn't care. But those who received the benefits of that truly did care and truly did love. Well, the Holy Spirit abides in us and with us. Well, who cares about that? It's those whom the Holy Spirit dwells about. The world does not care. The world doesn't see Jesus. It doesn't care if if Jesus abides within Christians or not because they know nothing about it. They don't appreciate it. They don't look for it. They don't see it. The Lord will not leave us comfortless. He will not leave us alone. He will not leave us by ourselves. He will not leave us comfortless in verse 18. In James chapter 1, verse 27, that same Greek word is translated fatherless. So he will not leave us fatherless. He won't leave us like orphans. He won't just leave us alone without comfort, without help, without strength. He, we won't be just wandering about alone. So I'm not going to leave you as orphans. There's not going to be, <clears throat> there's going to be one who comes, another one, another paraclete, another, another comforter to come. Don't fear. Trust. Trust Jesus. The world won't see me, but ye shall see me in verse 19. The world sees with their eyes, but soon they won't see with their eyes anymore. But the disciples will see with their eyes. But, they are, but we will see with Jesus by faith. Right? Um, Peter saw Jesus again after the resurrection, but you and I have never seen Jesus. Whom having not seen, ye love, Peter will say in 1 Peter 1.8. Though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. How is it that we see? We see with the eyes of faith. And whenever we see with the eyes of faith him whom we love, the Lord Jesus, Peter said we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The same thing that is promised here by, by Jesus and that the Comforter will give us when he comes. Comfort and strength, and peace, and joy. Well, Jesus says that um, we will live because I live, ye shall live also, he said. Not because I die, you will live also, but because I live, you will live too. And Peter talks about that in 1 Peter 1.3. That 
We have been begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, a living hope. We have a living hope because we have a living Savior. And Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. That's a living hope. It's not that because Jesus died, we will live. It's because Jesus lives, we will live. He died for us and then rose for our uh, justification. So we have a living Savior who is our hope. And Jesus points the disciples. He said, because I live, you're going to live also. Remember that. Your hope is in me. We will live. Though we will die, we will live eternally because he lives. We'll be resurrected. We'll reign with him for a thousand years. We will live and dwell with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Because he lives, we live. We have spiritual life now. And that spiritual life we have is of grace. We have life from Christ, a life of a faith in Christ, a life of communion with Christ. Um, as, as John Gill pointed out in his commentary on the verse, and a life that desires to live for his honor, glory, then that life comes from Christ. And so we have to think that that life is maintained by Christ. So in the context of all these verses, all, all this joy and comfort in the Holy Spirit, the Lord says, if you love me, keep my commandments over and over. Well, we have life in the beginning as a gift from God. We have the life in the end um, that is maintained by God. And so I don't think we get to the middle of our life and say, well, we, we're on our own on all this. No, that life that we have in Christ, that we abide in Christ, and he in us is maintained by him. So Gil goes on and says, it's not much that they live as Christ lives in them, and therefore their life can never be lost. It is bound up in the bundle of life with Christ. It is hid safe and secure with him, and so out of the reach of both men and devils. That because he lives, our life is bound up in his life. And so the comforter comes, and he, he uh, gives us life. We are sealed by the comforter. And the Comforter points us again and again to Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. When the Spirit comes, we experience that great communion because the Lord of glory lives within us. And instead of being far from Christ, we experience great union and communion with Christ. And so, as the Spirit of God indwells us, he is the third person of the Trinity, and therefore we have fellowship and communion with with the Lord because the Spirit of God dwells within us. What joy it is to have, what blessing it is to have the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 21, he, he then says, And he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, verse 21 is a benefit and the consequence of grace, not the foundation of it. Repentance is a fruit of grace. It's not the root of grace. Repentance and faith comes from, it is a gift of God. I mean, if you just think about that logically, how can a dead person do anything? How can someone who knows not Christ and has no power within himself who is, as the Bible says, dead and trespasses of sins, how can they repent? How can they repent enough in order for God to save them? Well, the answer is they can't. 
What must come first? Well, grace has to come first. There has to be life. You can't, you can't do anything if you're, if you're dead. Well, what comes first? Well, first comes life. Regeneration. You must be born again. And then whenever you have life, then you have the gift and grace of repentance. comes at the same time, but I mean, if you just logically, if we think about what the scripture says, then we know that great repentance and faith comes from grace, is not the cause of grace. And so who has the commandments? Those who have the promises of the new covenant, Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, says the spirit of God will write his law upon our hearts. So who has the commandments? Those who have been born again, those who have received grace. And have the, the Spirit of God, the new covenant, um, which uh, we are, we are um, the new covenant Christians. Um, the, the Holy Spirit writes his law upon our hearts. We walk in, under, we walk in the Spirit, Paul tells us. So keeping the commandments, the commandment keeping, are those who have the commandments and walk in the Spirit. It's the evidence of the character of those who love Jesus, those who are loved of God. God will manifest himself to them. And as he manifests himself to them, we walk in his commandments. So I'm going to look at two passages, one in Ephesians and then another one in Colossians. So Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. Look how Paul prays for, for churches. For this cause I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's going to pray. What's he going to pray for? Of whom the whole family on earth is named. His prayer is in verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. So God would give us something by grace. What is it? To be strengthened with the might by his spirit in the inner man. That's what Jesus said the comforter would do. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth all understanding, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And so as we walk in the spirit of truth, the spirit strengthens us, that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that we'll be rooted and grounded in love, that we might be able to comprehend and know the love of Christ. And what's Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, how do we do that? In the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we follow the Lord and we're strengthened by the Spirit and His might that we are rooted and grounded in love and that we might be able to know and comprehend the love of Christ that God would strengthen us. See, it just goes in a circle. The more that we, we love Christ and the more that we know of Christ, the more that the Holy Spirit illumines the truth of Christ to us, the more that we love Him, the more that we love Him, the more that we want to follow Him, the more that we follow Him, the, the more that He shows us of His love. Look a couple pages over in the book of uh, Colossians. Chapter 1, verse number 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. So Paul's praying for this church. And desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, and wisdom and spiritual understanding, 
that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So he prays that they would know the Lord and that he would, they would know the will of God, which is what God would have us to do in spiritual understanding, that we might please the Lord and we'd be fruitful in doing the good works that he would have for us. If you love me, keep my commandments. And by doing so, we would increase in the knowledge of God. And by increasing in the knowledge of God, what's that? We go back to verse number nine, that we be filled with the knowledge of his will and understanding, that we would walk worthy, being fruitful in every good work, that we would increase in the knowledge of God, that we would walk worthy. See how it just goes in a circle, doesn't it? That, that the more that we see of God, the more we love of God, the more that we uh, want to abide in God, the more that the Spirit strengthens us, that we can follow the Lord. And as we follow Him, the more we see of Him, the more that we love of Him, and so forth. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so those passages, if you love me, keep my commandments, that, that is very true. But that is a fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Not how you get God to love you. The Holy Spirit helps as our comforter and spiritual guide. He doesn't comfort us in our sinning, but in our sanctification. God sanctifies us, and our comfort arises from the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. See, the fact that you want to please the Lord out of gratitude is the comfort of the Holy Spirit working in you to do His good pleasure. So that that is the comfort the Holy Spirit gives us. The next thing, we probably won't get to all three of them, I don't know, but the next thing is, is peace. God gives us peace. In verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Those who are saved are not abandoned by the Lord. Christ loves his people. The Father loves the people he gives to Christ. The Lord will come to us and dwell with us. Jesus was not forsaking the disciples, but that they, we would know Jesus more and better when he, than whenever he lived on the earth with the disciples. Again, another amazing point of the Spirit dwelling within us, that we know Jesus more and better now that he has departed than if he would have, would have stayed. That's what Jesus is telling us. Jesus has not forsaken us, but the Holy Spirit guides us in all truth. See, this love is not based upon the commandments. As you read there, because um, people will take these passages and just preach on those passages alone. If a man love me, in verse 23, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come and abide with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hears not mine, but the Father which sent me. And they'll read that and say, well, the, the only way you can get the Father and to be sure that the Father loves you is by your obedience. And if you sin, that means you don't love God, and that means that God doesn't dwell with you. But that's not what that, that's not what that means. We may experience the love of God in greater or lesser ways, but God doesn't love us in greater or lesser ways. God Love is unconditional for us. Did Jesus love Peter less now 
Or did he, does he love Peter more now than in a couple chapters where he, for, he forsakes him? Or does he love him? Did he love him? Then he hates him. And then when Peter repents again, he loves him again. Is that how the love of God is? Is that how your love for your children is? That you love them, then you hate them, then you love them, then you hate them? Or do they experience your love perhaps in greater or lesser ways depending upon if they're acting up or if they're doing what you say? You know that you may discipline them, but that doesn't mean you love them any less. The Bible tells us that God's love for his people is unconditional, not, not based upon the condition that God gives us, but it is unconditional love. What sin did Job commit? And Job felt far from God. He felt very distant from God's love. But God didn't love Job any less in chapter 1 than he did in chapter 5 or throughout the the book of Job. In God's providence, Job did not feel the love of God as he did, but that doesn't mean that, that God loved him any less. And so... Those verses are not there to cause us to question God's love for us. They're there to show us that uh, we we express our love to God by doing what he says. All the way at the end, it says, um, Jesus saying in verse 30, I'm not going to be able to talk to you much more because I'm about to die. The prince of the world comes for me. He has nothing in me. I don't worry about that. I don't worry about what the devil's going to do. But that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise and let us go hence. So what's Jesus saying? I love the Father. And everybody's going to know that I love the Father because I do what the Father commands me to do. Jesus wasn't trying to earn the Father's love, was he? But as an expression of his love for the Father, Jesus obeyed the Father. Jesus and the Father had perfect communion. And Jesus says, I love the Father, therefore I do what he says. And what's he tell us? If you love me, do what I say. Not a a conditional thing, and then if you do what I say, then I'll love you. But, But if you love me, Express that love by doing what I tell you to do. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Let it not be troubled. Let it not be afraid. Roman Catholics rob people of assurance of salvation. Why do they do that? Well, it's because salvation is in the church. And if you keep people fearful, you'll keep people working and dedicated and giving. And so it's always... They always keep people second-guessing whether they're saved or not. And you can't have assurance of salvation. Um, they, they say that you might be able to, but that's not, that's not true. Listen to what they say. This is an article I read from the Catholic News Agency. Through Christ's church, the Catholic church, we can come to a knowledge of truth through the sacraments we receive as saving grace, as a free gift, But afterwards, we must cooperate with that grace since we have the choice to reject God at any time through disobedience. Serious disobedience, it says. But 
Nonetheless, after receiving God's redeeming grace and baptism, we must continue to work out our own salvation. Through confession, we can ask God for his continuing mercy, forgiveness, and more graces to help resist us in the future. As sinners, we're not assured of salvation. But Christians who faithfully use the sacraments, channels of God's grace, can hope for salvation. So what do the Catholics do? They want you afraid. Why? Because salvation is in the mass, the bread and the wine, the money, the giving. They want you afraid. Now, as New Testament Christians, we ought not to be following after Rome, right? We don't want to be Roman Catholics because that's not what the Scriptures teach us. The Scriptures don't teach us that salvation is in the church, and it also doesn't teach us that the love of God is is dependent upon our cooperation with, with what God has done. The Bible teaches us that we are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. The most troubling thing that I've ever experienced in my life is when I doubted whether or not I was saved. That was the most troubling thing. And to be quite honest, I had heard many sermons about at that time that were more Catholic than they were Baptist, and that's for sure. Why was it? Because it was doubting your salvation. It was you're probably not saved because you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't do this and you're probably not saved. And it, it had troubled my soul. I was saved. But there was no Christ in the messages. There was no uh, gospel in the messages. And it was all law and all look to yourself and, and you better work harder because the purpose of those sermons were, Christian, you better work harder. You better come to church. You better give your tithes and so forth. Why? Not out of gratitude for what God had given, but out of fear that you might lose what God has given. Well, that's Roman Catholicism. We are saved not by our works, but what Christ has done for us. Now, are there false professors? Well, certainly there are. But what's the? But how? If a, if there are false professors, how are false professors going to be saved? Well, certainly not by keeping the law, is it? It's not by reading the Bible more, or coming to church more. It's by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So even if people are worried about false professors, then they're going about it the wrong way because. Because that won't save the law won't save me. Jesus tells his people here, let not your hearts be troubled. I give you peace. Look to me. I'm the Savior. And so Jesus was not troubling the hearts of the disciples by saying, He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. The world which the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. He's saying, Don't be troubled. Because you hear my sayings, because you love me, because you are you are following after me. Don't be troubled. Look to me and live. Look to me and have life. Jesus is comforting his disciples and encouraging them. Now, if you don't have Christ, you don't have any hope. And there's no amount of works and doing that you'll be able to grab that. But, but if you are looking to Christ for your Savior, then you can rest in him. And love him and know that you have salvation, know that you have the forgiveness of sins. And then out of gratitude and out of love 
follow the Lord. And out of gratitude for what he's done for you, keep his commandments. And out of gratitude for what he's done for you, you you love him and display that love by following after him. But not out of a repayment and not out of a slavish fear that if you don't, then you're not going to be saved. Because you're not, in that case, you're not looking to him. You're looking to yourself. The Lord would have us to have assurance because our assurance is not what we do. I want you to have assurance in what Christ has done, to have assurance in your salvation. And that doesn't lead to sinfulness. Why? Because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The grace of God doesn't lead to, 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 to sinfulness. The grace of God leads us to walking in his commandments. And that's what the comforter does. The comforter guides us, and he will not let us go, and he will bring us comfort and peace in the work of Jesus Christ. I pray the Lord adds a blessing to his word.